0: Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor, and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870 predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. Was triumph, the, the first Sunday in Advent, Matthew 21, 1 to 9. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, whenever we begin the new church year, we had to come before you in shame because of the sins committed in the past. Today is no exception. We are again laden with the burden of guilt. Lord, you are not tired of having mercy upon us. No, no, you are not. You are God and not man. You are Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. Though we may forget you, you will not forget us. Though we may forsake you, you will never forsake us. Though we may be unfaithful to you, you will remain ever faithful. You cannot deny yourself. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Isaiah 54.10 Trusting this word of comfort, we on this first day of the new church year approach you and beseech you not to remember our unfaithfulness. Come again through word and sacrament with new grace, new blessings, new protection for your whole church, for our city, our congregation, our homes, and for all of us. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lamentations 3. Thus, Jeremiah comforted the believers of the Old Covenant as they groaned in captivity, and in Jerusalem, city and temple, lay in ruins. The Lord's mercies are new every morning, cried the prophet. How comforting! Sinners cannot have a greater, richer, more precious comfort. Let us ponder the meaning of these words. God's mercies are new every morning. They never cease as long as morning follows evening. Although God has for thousands of years shown endless mercy to the whole sinful human race, though he has pursued certain persons with nothing but mercy for many years, and though he has, as it were, overwhelmed him with mercy, it still has not ended or reached its goal. If we human beings ever show mercy at all, it is only in a limited amount. Our mercy toward our fellow sinners soon ends. If we have been merciful to them several times, we finally say only too quickly, that's enough. Should he whom we had shown mercy prove unthankful, or even use our mercy against us, our mercy easily and quickly ceases. The fountain of divine mercy flows on without interruption. Even the basest unthankfulness, even the most wanton abuse, cannot choke it up, for he is an eternal Unfathomable sea of love. Still more, when it says, God's mercies are new every morning, it not only means that they never cease, but they also never wane. They are always the same, always as great and ardent as at the beginning. They never age. Our mercy may even burn brightly for a while. Though it may not be completely extinguished when put to the test, it will readily become weaker. And finally, it will flow only drop by drop like a nearly empty jar. Not so, God's mercy. It is, as it says, new every morning. Not only on the first day of life does it flow over us in a full stream, but each succeeding evening we must sing praise to the Lord, who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you as the sun rises anew each morning with the same brightness with which it has shone upon the world for thousands of years so does also God's mercy rise anew every morning upon each person in the same measure as in the past however when it says God's mercies are new every morning God does not think of how much or how long he has already shown a person mercy he does not charge it to his account In order to subtract it from his quota of love but whenever a new day comes around God acts as though he had never shown mercy in the past as if this were the first day let him taste his love as if today he first began to seek him and show himself a God who wishes salvation whenever a new day dawns God's mercy again takes a person into its arms Even though he should have a million proofs of God's grace, even though in the past they should all have been in vain, because his mercy is new every morning. If scripture has any comforting word, such as we need today at the beginning of a new church year, if it has any comfort after the undeserved, often vainly bestowed mercy in past years, it certainly is this comforting word. If, according to this word, his mercies are new every morning, how much more will they be new every year? How sure we can be that they will be new today and throughout the new church year. The mercy of God consists chiefly in this, that Jesus in the coming church year will again come to us with all his grace as if he had never come to us before. With God's help, That is what I will try to impress deeply upon your hearts today. To this end, may we graciously be assisted by God. Matthew 21, 1-9 Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The chief reason why this story was chosen as the text to begin the new church year is without a doubt this, that at the beginning of every year, every Christian may be comforted by the knowledge that Jesus will come again. Let me present to you the comforting truth. Jesus will come again in also this new church year. I direct your attention especially to points, who will come and to whom will he come. Throughout more than 1,800 years, Christ has been coming and has come to each of us. Thousands have noticed his presence, but how few have received him in the past church year. How many have rather turned their backs to him? Are we therefore certain that in the new church year, now beginning, Christ will come again? Couldn't he be tired of coming after having come so often in vain? Isn't it possible that the church year just passed was the last in which he wanted to come? No, that is impossible. He is not tired of coming. Today's text shows us that. Christ's coming into Jerusalem is nothing else than a picture of his continual coming to the New Testament Jerusalem, his church, as he promised. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John fourteen twenty three. And, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28:20. 20. But is it really so comforting to know that Jesus will come again this new church here? Is He not the holy Son of God and we sinners who have come short of the glory of God? Is He not the eternal judge of us all? Does not our conscience accuse us of great guilt? if we but look back into our past, or only into the last year? Must we not expect that when Jesus comes? He will come in wrath to punish us as we deserve? It certainly might seem that way. But let us take a look at today's gospel. How does it describe that Jesus, who wants to come to us again? We read, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village. who offers to come in the new church here? Need we fear such a Jesus? Or haven't we really every reason to await him with longing and welcoming him with joy? Yes, it is true that our gospel pictures Jesus as an exalted, noble person. It tells us that he is omniscient. He knows the thoughts and words of every inhabitant of Bethpage afar off. It tells us that he is a mighty, almighty, From afar, he made the owner of those two animals do his will. But our gospel also tells us that he did not come as a holy judge, armed with the terror of righteous judgment, but as a king, a meek king, a king of grace and mercy. Can any truth be more comforting than this one on this Sunday of the new church here? Study everything carefully. Jesus is omniscient. He knows all the sins that we have ever committed even those we have already forgotten. He knows all the sins that we will commit in the future. He knows exactly the condition of our heart. He knows it better than we ourselves do. He knows our whole great sinful corruption. Yet he does not want to know this as our judge who wants to punish our sins, but as our meek king of grace who comes to forgive them, blot them out, hurl them into the depths of the sea. Since he is omniscient, He also knows all the trouble in which we are, all the worries that oppress us, all the unheard sighs that arise within us, all the unseen tears we shed, all the wants of body and soul, all our scheming enemies who seek after our souls. He knows, therefore, all the dangers, distresses, and afflictions toward which we are going. And though he knows that all our trouble and dangers are caused first by our sins, He does not know all this in order to punish us through them as our enemy, to let us be overwhelmed by them without giving comfort or help. He knows all this as our King of Grace. He wants to come in order to fill our temporal and spiritual wants, to hear our prayers and sighs, to dry our tears, to turn aside dangers, to protect us against our enemies, to turn all evil to our good, and finally, to free us from all evil by a blessed death. Not only does he know our trouble and want to help, but he is also almighty. He can help us when no one can. He is able to devise a plan when others give up. Everything is in his hands. He can even turn the hearts of men like rivers, and therefore direct everything for our temporal and eternal welfare. And now what should we do when we today hear the cry, Jesus comes? Dare we? Looking at Jesus' glory in our sins, filled with fear and worry, let our heads fall? No, no! Who dares be afraid when he hears that his meek king is at the same time great, wise, strong, and mighty? At the call, Jesus comes, we today much rather Lift up our heads and join in the song of jubilation with which the joyful people greeted the entry of the King of Grace. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Yet, of what benefit would it be to know that this wonderful King of Grace is coming again in the church here if he would not come to us? Let us secondly find out to whom he wants to and promises to come. We have no difficulty in finding the correct answer to this question. It has already been given in our gospel in clear and simple words. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus comes to the daughter of Zion. Zion was the name of a mountain upon whose peak the temple was built and upon whose sides Jerusalem itself lay. Really, the daughter of Zion means the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Figuratively, it means the church of the Old and New Testaments. Consequently, the church of believers has the promise that Jesus will come to her at all times. Therefore, also in the new church year beginning today. But must not many of us fear that Jesus will not come to them? That they do not belong to the daughters of Zion? That they are not yet true members of the church, true believers? My dear hearers, I have reason to fear that many a one is not yet a daughter of Zion. Bear in mind, when Christ entered Jerusalem, he of course visited his spiritual believing Zion first of all. Yet at the same time, he came to all who had come to Jerusalem, even if they were the most miserable and forlorn sinners. Today, Jesus comes first of all to his church, that is, his true believers. Yet in so doing, he comes also to all who have joined the church, even though they may be the most miserable and wretched sinners. You find Christ's church wherever his word is preached and the sacraments administered. No daughter of Zion, no church, no salvation, no bliss can be found where these means of grace are not used. Whoever does not use God's word and sacraments vainly hopes for Christ's coming. He has no part in Christ or Christ in him. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. This is the message that should be announced only to the daughter of Zion, who has his word and sacraments. Happy are all of you who, not despising God's word, have come today to hear it, and have decided to hear the word of God diligently in the new church year. Even if all of you are not yet citizens of the true spiritual Jerusalem, you are nevertheless like those Israelites who shared in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. No matter who you are, no matter how hopeless you may think things are, be among those who hear Christ's word. The joyous message, Jesus comes in this new church here, applies then also to you. Despair not, O sinner, you who in the old church here have not quite forgotten, forsaken, or lost your Lord Jesus Christ, but have often been untrue to him, have not kept many a promise made to him, have been overcome by many a sin, and in many respects have gone backward instead of ahead. Today begins a new church year, in which Jesus, your King, comes to you again with new grace. Oh, accept him in new faith and new fervent love. Your aging heart will then be new and young, filled through and through with spiritual spring air. In the new church year, you will strew before Jesus those palm branches of thanks which you failed to offer him in the old. Despair not. Even you who in the old church year, perhaps tricked by your flesh, the world, or Satan, have lost your Savior and have lived who had lived in your heart. Nor you who have lived without peace and rest, without light and comfort, without power and hope. Oppressed by the feeling of God's displeasure, despair not. A new year of grace, in which Jesus, your King, comes to you again with new grace, has come to you today. Oh, fall at his feet, accept him. Gladly will he be yours again. Cast off the garments of your own righteousness. Let Christ trample them underfoot. Ask him for the true garment of his righteousness. Yes, hurry to put it on in faith. And you also, again, can sing Hosanna today. Nor should you despair, you who have never experienced how blessed it is to have Jesus for your King of Grace. You who have lived hitherto in carnal security, unconcerned about the salvation of your immortal souls. You who have hitherto striven for wealth, peaceful days, and a comfortable life and have never earnestly concerned yourself about Jesus. Yes, perhaps have been his bitter enemy. You who now see that you can never be saved this way. Though you have wasted past years, God now gives you, in the new church year, new grace. Jesus, your King, comes to and seeks you again in the new year. Only let him find you with a repentant heart grasp the outstretched hand of grace and you will experience that with him is gracious redemption and though you be tied with a thousand cords of sin and unbelief christ will again say as he did once untie them and bring them to me and you will be free behold the gates of the new church year are open. Jesus our King has in this hour already come to us in his word. He is here. Rise. Hurry to meet him. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.